Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, here with another fantastic episode of the podcast. This is episode 29 with Ben Blacker, who is the co-creator and writer of the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast and stage show. Uh, If you didn't listen to the episode with Hal Lublin, who is one of the uh, performers for Thrilling Adventure Hour, then I'll just let you know that uh, it's a great podcast in the style of old-time radio and totally worth your time. I mean, I fell in love with it, you will too. And uh, I was so grateful for the opportunity to talk to Ben, uh, one of the Bens, uh, as you'll, you'll figure out later on in the podcast or immediately. Uh, he's just a great uh, fountain of knowledge in terms of like the writing aspect of all of this. And as someone who likes to uh, fancy herself a writer uh, in one regard or another, it was really great to, uh, to hear about uh, his struggles, what he's learned, um, and, and the benefits of just kind of, you know, sticking with something that you love so much and, uh, and the things that can come from that. So we get into it about a lot of stuff, about writing, about uh, different aspects of nerddom. Uh, there's a lot of Spider-Man, um, it's a little bit of Daily Show at the end, uh, and, and just general stuff. I mean, and, and it always comes back to the thrilling adventure hour. But uh, yeah, Ben was great to talk to and uh, hope to talk to more people from the thrilling adventure hour. They're, they're awesome uh, so far. So fingers crossed. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy it, uh, love it, and uh, come back for more. All right. Have a great one. just uh we'll just start and we'll get into it and go for about an hour and then we'll go our separate ways <laughs> sounds good excellent uh ben blacker welcome to that girl with the curls thank you <laughs> it's great to talk to you excellent yeah uh i i tend to uh skirt the line between trying to stalk someone and be like you know as hands-off as possible until i feel like it's okay <laughs> no you were very uh, well behaved. In fact, I think you you contacted our agent, which is crazy. Hacker <laughs> and I are both on Twitter, and that is how most people communicate with us. But thank you for the formality. I try. Well, I wasn't sure because I, I mean, I don't. I, I follow you two, but you don't follow me, so it's like I I don't know how that feels uh, for you to have someone just randomly go, "Hey, be on my podcast, please." Oh, it feels really, really good. Oh, okay. Well, I'll remember that next time. A message to everyone out there. If you want me or Acker on your podcast, just ask. <laughs> Excellent. Now I know to just bug Acker about it now. So. Exactly. Go after me like, you're next, Acker. <laughs> well, yeah, usually people ask and then I listen to the podcast. And if I like the podcast, I'll do it. And if not, I send them to him. <laughs> that, is that a punishment uh, for, for the, the podcaster? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, now you have to deal with him. Yeah. Try dealing with this. He's going to talk you out of doing your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Has he done that, actually? No, I, he could, though. Oh, he, he, he seems the persuasive sort. He's, or, he's that good. Or he just browbeat someone into submission, just be like, you don't... Not 
someone will have that conversation with him and then be like, why do I bother doing this without him every week? <laughs> I may as well hang it up. So, well, do you, do you feel like you, d- you don't have your right arm with you if Hacker isn't with you doing an interview? <laughs> oh, no, I, I know how I could do it every week without him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we won't tell him that part. Uh, <laughs> exactly. He'll never hear it. Oh, no, of course not. He'll never listen to this when I bug him about it. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, for those who don't know, Ben, um, can you kind of give, like, um, I guess as brief of an explanation as possible of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, um, which is how I, how I got in contact with you uh, because of the, the podcast and the stage show and everything. Um, and people may have listened to the Hal Lublin episode, but just in case they didn't, uh, do you have, like, a short version of what Thrilling Adventure Hour is? Sure. Yeah, Hal actually did a great job explaining it on or podcast. So I would recommend people go and listen to that. He was he was terrific. That I enjoyed that episode. He's, he um, was a sweetheart. <laughs> well, let's not let's not go. Okay, it. fine. I won't uh, butter him up too much. <laughs> uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour is a stage show, primarily in the style of old time radio, uh, in which actors that you know and love from the worlds of TV and film and animation and comedy and uh, sketch and are there other things the stage. Uh, uh, I think covered it all. Stage, acting out uh, all kinds of comedic genre stories from a space western to a sort of thin man with ghosts. Uh, it's also <laughs> available as a podcast on the Nerdist Network. It comes out every Monday. Um, and the stage show is based in L.A. We do it every month at Largo with the Coronet. Uh, we also have toured it and will continue to tour it a little bit Um and go to thrillingadventurehour.com for all the details and some really nice pictures. Yes, I, I really enjoy when um, you guys get the, the new photographers in and they do those. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's really interesting how they photograph the different actors. Um, I think there was one where they were just like city, they, oh, they were prison photos. Uh, and it was just like, I don't know, like seeing Bradley Whitford uh, with his like glasses askance, like trying to do <laughs> some kind of a prison photo was just funny to me. Yeah, it's funny. Acker and I, we talked about that. The photographer, Roman Cho, did a terrific job, and he had pitched it, and we weren't quite sure, but then as we saw the actors, you know, each take their turn, we're like, oh, right, they're actors. They can <laughs> act in still photos as much as they can act on stage or on TV. We're just going to let them do their thing. Exactly, and they're all so funny. They're so great. I love the, that photo set. Oh, yeah, and I, I basically any chance that I can see uh, Paget and Paula Tompkins just acting like Frank and Sadie is awesome. It's every time I listen to them doing an interview or when you guys uh, record your um, your panels at different Comic-Cons, like, they're the ones that when you hear them, it's like this such a, a huge amount of affection that they have for each other playing fake husband and wife. <laughs> there really is. It's, it's so much fun to watch. Um, but, you know, that's true of the whole cast. Mm-hmm. Everyone really genuinely likes each other. Uh, I was talking to someone recently about uh, someone who was working on a show for 10 years, and they were saying, you know, after or whatever it was, I think they're on season seven, mm-hmm. and they were saying, you know, seven seasons of working with someone, you start to grade on each other. The amazing thing with this cast uh, it'll be 10 years in March that we've all been working together. That's and fantastic. We all still like and respect each other. That's unheard of. <laughs> it kind of is. What did you do? What did you put into the water? <laughs> you know, I, it, they all started out as nice people. Uh, <laughs> it, 
uh, fame as they have all, you know, they, all of their reputations have grown. They're all getting more work in these past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it has not changed them from being nice people. And I think, as we say, like, especially when we started, nobody got paid. They were paid one drink ticket per show. <laughs> and, you know, you, you don't agree to do a show unless you believe in it and are a nice person. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who tend to do our show and those are the tend to people who stick around in our show. And, and again, once, uh, you know, congratulations on 10 years uh, with this. I mean, it's, it's an amazing podcast. I genuinely just adore it, like every time a segment comes out. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. It feels like 50. <laughs> Good. Uh, great. <laughs> Question marks all around. Uh, I mean, and I, I heard, I think it was on, on for New York Comic Con, or it might have been something else, but is this the last year you're doing it as a stage show? This is. Uh, April 11th will be our last regular L.A. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just found out, and I don't think I can announce it yet, that we're doing one sort of unusual show after that that won't be a typical thrilling adventure hour um it'll have some of the same people but that's about it um so yeah april is our last show uh, and then we're doing a, a bit of a tour in may and then we're done then we're closing up shop we're the the on the live show the it is time after 10 years for the show to evolve mm-hmm. um so we talked about some things at new york comic-con that we had cooking um, a Beyond Belief pilot with Paul and Paget, um, a live action Sparks thing, and we're still we're still working on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's kind of frustrating is all of this stuff takes so much time. Yeah, you know when Ben and I with the stage show, we have an idea. It takes us a week to write it. We send it to the cast, and then it's up on its feet within three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting together anything. That's any more than that takes so much time and so many more people and so many, like, there's just decisions to go through. So we're still pursuing everything because um, we want to keep working with all these people. We want to keep, you know, playing in these worlds that we've created. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the stage show, if we do it, it will be a, a special occasion and we don't have any plans for, 20, for 2015 at all. Oh, okay. After April. It's like sadness, and I'll never get to get out to LA to see it. <laughs> um, I yeah, mean, sorry. I know it's not your fault. It's it's clearly mine. That's uh, <laughs> why we announced in October. That gave people a good six, seven months to get That's, their tickets. <laughs> get your fares in order, people. Just go to <laughs> go to LA. <laughs> lives out. Yeah, uh, I mean it. It is an interesting you know, a thing with a a stage show that then becomes a podcast that's now uh, because of a very successful Kickstarter campaign that you guys had, um, which I think so far I've received my uh, digital, digital copy of the graphic novel. Uh, I didn't know you were a backer. Thank you so much. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. Like, it was one of those things that once it, it went out there, uh, I was just like, oh my God, I need to, I need to be a part of this. (laughs) So... Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. I, you know, I like to support things that I love, so, <laughs> uh, you know, no pressure on all the other stuff that you're doing eventually. Uh, what are you still waiting for? I, I don't know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have the, the, the digital, uh, book and the music, and I guess when the, um, not the, the, uh, the stage show, when that comes out, the video, the DVD. Uh, the concert film. 
Yeah. Yes, concert film, sorry. Um, when that comes out, I will eventually receive it, so. <laughs> oh, cool. It's, um, it's at the printer right now, in fact. Excellent. They're being, they're being manufactured as we speak. They will hopefully go out in the next few weeks. Uh, it came out great. I, I'm really excited about it, and it's it's stupid that it's taken us over a year to put it out, but it's just, you know, we explained to the Kickstarter backers mm-hmm. there was a holdup with a potential distributor, and it took six or seven months to figure that well, out. Well, it would have been closed the deal, but it wound up the deal <laughs> went away. No. <laughs> um, so that, that ate up a bunch of time when nothing was being done, and then another six months for post-production uh, so it's it's a we're not happy that it took so long. We wanted to get it to everyone much faster. Well, and I think that I, from what I've seen of the audience for thrilling adventures, that we're willing to wait for the thi- for again, like we support the things that we love, and then we'll wait for you know whatever because it's like I know I'll eventually get it. It's just a matter of time. And and I saw the um, the concert film when you previewed it at Emerald City uh, last oh. year. That's right. Oh, it's even better now. Oh, That's, excellent. <laughs> yeah, we, that was before the color correction. That was before Andy Paley went in and did a pass on the music. Um, there's some new new material in there. Um, and then, honestly, even the DVD booklet looks really cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we got this design company to create a really uh, interesting and fun and funny cover. Like, I'm just excited to see that. <laughs> So and and with this evolution, like so now you're you're going beyond the stage into live action and and comic books and, and everything. Um, I mean, did you ever did you ever conceive that it would go this far? Because I know that Sparks started off as a movie that eventually became the stage show. Yeah, um, that that was the beginning of the show, and and that's all sort of well trod on our behind the scenes yeah. episodes and stuff. Um, you know, the show was always designed that we could spin out the uh, IP from any given segment into a TV show, into a movie, whatever it is. The fact that it took us so long to do even comics, which, like, that seemed like a no-brainer, um, is just speaks to how much work it has been to just make the stage show. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, I mean, what's the, what is the process for you and Acker in terms of writing, uh, the stage show? I mean, I know you said it takes about a week, like, are you guys writing together? Are you separate? Um, or, you know, a little bit of, of both at times? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. We sit down together when we're going to start figuring out what's in each month's episode. Every, every month's show is made up of three segments. It starts with Sparks, Nevada, Marshall, and Mars. It ends with Beyond Belief, uh, and we change out the middle every time. So we sit down to figure out what we're going to do that month, which is often dictated by who is going to be in the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, Craig Kukowski doesn't have a lot to do, we'll put a Colonel TikTok in there or a Moonshine Holler in there. Um, if Autumn Reeser doesn't have a lot to do, we'll put an Amelia Earhart in there. Um, so that's kind of how the middle segment is sorted, and then we figure out where everyone goes. What We're really lucky that like everybody in the cast is uh, such a good sport about having a lot or little to do. Mm-hmm. There have been months where we email Annie Savage and say, hey, listen, it's not that we don't love you. We just <laughs> don't have enough characters this month, so you're just going to be singing is that cool? And she she has never once said, 
no, give me something else, or no, I'm sitting out. She will always say, yeah, of course I'll come sing. It's mm-hmm. the most fun, and I don't have to do any heavy lifting. <laughs> so we kind of, we figure out what's going in the show, and then usually we st- we'll start with Sparks, because that is an ongoing story, mm-hmm. and say, how do we need to move the ball forward? And we usually have like a six or eight month plan on Sparks, um, although this last year has been a little bit, what would be neat? What, what do we want to see before we end it? Um, so we'll, we'll sit there and we'll break it together, and that usually takes a couple hours. And then we'll do the same thing for the middle, and we'll do the same thing for Beyond Belief. Um, and the Beyond Belief ones tend to be... We sit there and say, are there any characters we want to bring back? Mm-hmm. Or are there any monsters or any horror tropes we haven't tackled yet? And if there are, do we have a take on it that you know, is, is ours, is something we've never seen before. Um, which, that's how we ended up with this month, which we can actually talk about, because this podcast won't come out till after this month's show. Uh, uh, we had never done a slasher film in Sparks. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it just, it does, they deal with monsters, right? They deal with the supernatural, so we thought that would be an interesting thing to try to tackle. Um, so yeah, again, that, that takes about an hour, maybe two hours per segment for us to come up with the, what happens in the episode and who's in it, and, you know, we'll break it on a whiteboard. Uh, we, we have a day job for a DreamWorks cartoon, so we use our office ah. for breaking our own show. You're <laughs> um, supposed to be doing that, that, that DreamWorks stuff? Like, yeah, boss, we're totally doing that DreamWorks stuff right now. <laughs> yeah, that talking cat, he has a lot to do. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I think usually whichever one of us feels like he has a better handle on the story and can bang it out the fastest we'll take the first draft that usually takes the scripts for each segment are about 20 25 pages so that takes about two or three days uh and then you know if i do the first draft i'll send it to ben he'll do a pass which might take a day uh and then you know so all told it's about three or four days per segment Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's about a week and a half two weeks for the whole thing and uh our are you or Acker, like, do you feel like you're better at writing certain voices? Like, is one of you, like, you know, maybe better at writing Sparks and uh, Encroach, or the other one is better at doing Frank and Sadie? Or is, is it just the two of you just coming up with, with it all kind of collaboratively? It, yeah, it is, uh, it is 100% collaborative. Mm-hmm. We, we, um, we, we created these voices together, and so I feel like we are we are the ones best suited to convey these voices mm-hmm. you know there are times when you know whoever's doing the second pass will go through and say that's not quite a Sadie line so he'll change it um or you know that's not something Sparks would say but that's that's just the nature of writing it very fast is mm-hmm. stuff is going to get through um then I, I yeah it's, it's funny I, I didn't realize how specific our voice was until we had guest writers do the show and that's right. You've had several guest writers, haven't you? Yeah, and we've been lucky to have them. They've done amazing stuff, and they've come up with jokes we never would have come up with. They come up with stories we never would come up with. Uh, Glenn David Gold and Ed Brubaker, um, Matt Debenham, like really terrific writers that we admire. Um, and it's funny as as good of a job as they do, as uh, and they do a tremendous job. Mm-hmm. It's still. We still read it and go, that Sparks, that's not Sparks' voice. Sparks would never say that, or Red would never say that. But there's no way for them to know that, because they are not in our brains. 
<laughs> but it's been an interesting lesson in show running. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's how fa- how close to that final thing can you get your writers, thus leaving as little work as possible for you because you have to do all the other work of casting and producing and everything. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of is that why you felt the need to move on from the stage show that? these other things are just going to take up so much more time that the stage show has maybe, do you feel like it's run its course or it's just, you can't tell the stories you want to via that medium anymore. It's a little bit of both. It's, it's mostly that it's taking up so much time and energy. Um, you know, if the scripts only take a week and a half, two weeks, it takes about three weeks to get everything in order and make sure that everybody's going to be around and then to cast the thing. I mean, it's, Wednesday before a show and we're still casting for Saturday's show. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just the nature of the thing. As much as we try to get ahead of it, there are always a couple of people dropping out or people we didn't think of or parts we didn't realize that would be great for guest stars. Um, So it's it's all so last minute, which is (laughs) endlessly frustrating to me. (laughs) Seems like you're just existing in a world of high anxiety the whole time. Pretty for ten years, pretty <laughs> ten much years. <laughs> without a break. Oh my! <laughs> and, and we also we want to write other things mm-hmm. uh, because we've been on a deadline every month for ten years. We haven't really had an tr- opportunity to write other material that's not for someone else. You know, we have our our job on Puss and Boots, and so we we write about a script a month for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but given our druthers, that's, it's not our show. It's not a show that we would write left our own devices. Yeah. It's a great job. Or you'd change it into something completely different. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so we want to, you know, we, we kind of need to create some new material and play in some new worlds. And working for Marvel allowed us to do that. And occasionally getting to write a pilot allowed us to do that. Um, but we, we want to do more of it. As well as, as I said, push these characters out into into the real world, you mm-hmm. know, give them more than just the audio medium. And and I don't know how much you can speak to this, but do you plan to continue the same stories, or is it going to be like, uh, I guess, retreading of, of old material at some point? Um, it's like, I, I don't know, like, even with the comic books, because I read the, the Zero issues, uh, right. which were which were great. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and Sparks is coming out. Uh, when this drops, it'll be coming out that uh, on Wednesday. So Yes, it comes out Wednesday the 18th. It's the first um, Thrilling Adventure Hour monthly comic uh, is Sparks Nevada. Yay! Uh, yeah, it works. I actually just got my copies today. Uh, I, I have three huge boxes of comics. Uh, <laughs> and they look so good. Jay Bone uh, is the illustrator on the Sparks comic, and they look beautiful he's he's phenomenal um so but but to your question you know the issue zero which is available on our website um for i think two dollars um is a good is a good indicator of what the sparks comic book series and the beyond belief comic book series will be Mm -hmm. they take place in continuity um but we're starting well before the um podcast began okay so the, the spark stuff picks up pretty pretty close after the issue zero. Okay, yeah, because uh, you know the it's it's great going to the, the thrilling adve- adventure hour wiki and just getting to like view, uh, which is amazing by the way that you have uh, <laughs> people who just wanted to like fill all that in for you. That's awesome. <laughs> we use that 
all the time. <laughs> I cannot tell you it is the most helpful thing in the world, and the fans who keep it up are just the best, and they're tireless. Uh, but, like, we were writing a Captain Laserbeam for this month's show, and I was like, I know that Patrick had hobbies. What were they? And it was right there on the wiki. <laughs> the, I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah, because when you, when you get into, like, those nitty-gritty details like we uh, Patrick's hobbies, or even just the plethora of different villain names you have to come up with yes. for <laughs> Captain Laserbeam. Yeah, we can't, we can't remember it. I mean, the actor, Hal Lublin is the only one who remembers most of this stuff. <laughs> that does not um, surprise well, me. You know, we can't remember because we, even as we're about to put on the February show, we're already thinking about the March show. I don't have time to think about a show from two years ago. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is you need an archivist. I would offer my services to you, sir. <laughs> we really do. That's what the wiki is doing it. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's great when, uh, especially like, you know, with the the power of Kickstarter, with crowdsource funding, and then with a wiki like this, where, you know, you have people who are, you know, pretty reliable at uh, finding those details, because that's what internet culture is, just finding details. Uh, and now yeah. you have like a pretty comprehensive wiki. Yeah, I'm just worried about when they all go away. They're not going to go away, Ben. It's just going to be Acker and me just telling each other, sitting sitting by, I imagine we'll be in a house, <laughs> there will be no electricity. Like uh, you do. We'll, we'll be warming our hands by like a small barrel fire, <laughs> telling each other stories of Sparks Nevada. <laughs> you paint such a beautiful picture for yourself. <laughs> Oh, and this is six months this will happen. Oh, okay. well, still, in the future. I mean, you're you're essentially saying you and Acker end up like uh, Banjo and Gummy. So. <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, I think that is likely our future. You were just writing your own future ahead of time. You just didn't realize it. Exactly. Uh, um, so with the, with the writing for uh, the comic book medium, then, uh, do you... I mean, do you find it as easy to do, especially with these characters that are in your head? You know them, you know, as, as well as anyone can know uh, these characters. Uh, do you, what was that process like in terms of translating, I guess, the, the jokes over to a medium that's less reliant on voice? Yeah, it's been interesting. The, the greatest compliment anyone has given us about the um, graphic novel, which came out a couple years ago from from Archaea is that when they read it, they hear the actors' voices. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, those, those voices, as much as they are written by Ben and me, they're brought to life by the actors. And mm-hmm. So when we're writing the comics, it's that, it's their cadences. It's, you know, it's Mark Evan Jackson's uh, asides that we're trying to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the jokes are, are not tough. The voices are not really tough. You know, we learned a lot about word balloon placement when it comes to comic timing and things like that. Um, and again, Jay Bone and Phil Hester on the Beyond Belief book are great at comic timing, you know, visual comic timing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why we're working with those guys. Um, so, so that hasn't been too tough. What's been, what's been a real learning process is the amount of story that you can put into a comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, you know, because of the medium, we want to make the stories a little bit bigger, right? There's no there's no budget in the way there is in a television program. It doesn't have you to know. be as, like, limiting in terms of episodic. 
Exactly, and it's not quite so driven. It doesn't have to be as driven by, you know, the petty squabble between Sparks and Croach. <laughs> uh, that's what plays on the radio. It's all about voices. So finding the balance between the huge epic scope that, you know, is possible and the small stories, the small emotional, personal relationship stories that are what we really love to do uh, has, has been a, a definite learning process. And, you know, we, we've looked at other comic books that have done it, done that kind of, walked that kind of line to varying degrees, uh, and I think learned a lot from them also. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's very much a dearth of comedy comics out there. Like, it's, it's a, it's a rough thing, I think, for some people to, like, either sustain that or to find something that everyone will find at least amusing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- that's an interesting observation, because I think what we're seeing now is the kinds of comedy in comics, not necessarily funny comics, but mm-hmm. comedy in comics that are like the best com- comedy in TV shows, right? They're character-driven. Yeah. You know, Saga is a really funny comic. Oh, Sex I love Saga. Is a really funny comic. I mean, Sex Criminals, obviously, I, th- I think puts the comedy foremost, but there's great emotion in there, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Chip Zdarsky's art is like the uh, probably one of the most expressive I've seen in terms of just, like, little ticks that a person does. Um, Yeah, he has amazing timing and execution. Yeah. Um, But, you know, these are, the comedy that comes from those, it's not gags. It's not, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, it's not Archie comics, but even that was not really gag-driven. But it's not Mad Magazine. It's not Spy vs. Spy. They're real character-driven comics with comedy attached to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the way a drama can have comedy in it, no matter. I mean, you always have like moments of levity because you're you're in a dramatic situation, and most people are going to try and crack a joke at some point. Um, oh, absolutely, and that's what makes that's what drives me nuts about like The Walking Dead is there has <laughs> never been a joke on that show. <laughs> yeah, like a purposeful joke made by yeah, someone to that, lighten the mood. <laughs> exactly, and, that, and that's crazy to me. I mean. I understand the dire circumstances, but man, is that stuff bleak? Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, uh, I don't. Have you seen the most recent episode? I have not. Uh, well, I mean, it won't surprise you that you know terrible things happen, people are in peril, and then everyone's just kind of staring at each other, going, "Should we have hope? I don't know." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think I've just distilled every Walking Dead episode down for you. I think you did. <laughs> So yeah, because and and it's really funny that you point that out, and I never really made that association, and yet I can watch a movie like Man of Steel and just be like, you know what, they really need to give Superman like a humor, a sense of humor or yeah. something like that. That guy should smile. But then you look at something. I mean, I would compare Battlestar Galactica to Walking Dead, and mm-hmm. Battlestar had great jokes in it. Like that, that show could be as funny as it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and you and Acker also wrote an episode, uh, at least an episode that you're credited to of Supernatural. Yes. Um, did you guys... Yeah, we were on staff in season seven and we wrote an episode called The Mentalists. So what was, what was that like, uh, writing a television show? You know, again, it's not your property or anything like that, but coming into that kind of a writing room. Um, it was interesting. Supernatural doesn't have a writer's room. Ah. That was the strange part, mm-hmm. um, and that was the reason we had developed our own 
shows um, and been paid to develop our own shows every year for about five or six years. And that year, which I think was 2009, we made a concerted effort to get on a TV show so we could kind of learn, you know, at some point one of our pilots would be picked up to series and we wanted to learn how to run that show. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's get into a writer's room. And then the show we wound up on was Supernatural, which (laughs) did not have a writer's room. Um, they did, there was a, a small room for the first, like, three weeks or so, which is when we got the, we got the best thing that we got out of Supernatural was to work with Ben Edlund, mm-hmm. uh, who, who created The Tick and who wrote on Angel and, uh, Firefly and among many other shows, um, and is an absolute genius and was amazing to watch work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a particular thrill, um. In, in, oh, what, still, still in what way was Sorry. it interesting to watch Ben Edlund work? He has this ability to see a story from every angle, mm-hmm. which seems very basic, but it, it, it's as if he's zooming in on a specific surface of a multi-surfaced uh, uh, stone. Ah. He can see all of the details and what will eventually play out and say, if we were going this path, we could do this and this and this and branch off into these directions. Uh, He also has a a mind that, you know, I would say he wasn't brought up on on the same cultural touchstones as the rest of us, but that's not it. It just feels that way Mm -hmm. because when he suggests a, for example, a a Superman-type character, it barely resembles Superman. It's this amazing new novel, uh, unusual thing that you've never seen before, which is what new and novel mean. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my dictionary and just make sure. Yep, yep checks out. <laughs> get, get us the source. It'll be cool. Um, but, like, it, it, was, it was just really interesting, and, and, you know, I don't know that it's something that we learned from necessary, necessarily, but it was something to aspire to certainly Mm -hmm. you know he he created story in a way that other people do not or at least other people we know do not (laughs) um so that was interesting and then you know it was a season seven show so to go in and try to find stories they hadn't done before was a kind of a fun challenge Mm -hmm. and and yours was uh yours was about the uh uh, like a mental a mentalist uh convention i guess that was going on right Yeah, ours actually was not. We didn't pitch that story. I think someone else wound up with the story that we were pit, with, that we pitched. I can't remember. I can't remember what it was anymore. <laughs> um, but that was not our story. That was pitched by Robbie Thompson, who knew all about uh, Lilydale and the this this yearly convention, which is a true thing that all actually happens. Um, and so Robbie said, you know, and he, Robbie's a great writer and it was his first year too. And he was kind of pitching this idea of like, I think, I think there's something in that. And, um, I think we all just kind of started spilling, spinning the story out and, uh, we wound up with that one just because of the rotation, but Uh. it was was a fun one to do. And, uh, I mean, are you, obviously you got, you and Acker are fans of, of different genres and everything. I mean, you wouldn't be able to write you know, certain things with like sparks and beyond belief, if you didn't have some kind of a knowledge of, of, of genre shows and whatnot, um, was supernatural show that you guys have watched previously, or was it just kind of something you're like, okay, we don't know that much about it, but we're going to go in and do the research and just write it. 
Yeah, more the latter. More the latter. <laughs> we, I, I think we had seen maybe an episode or two here or there, but uh, yeah, I did not watch the show. Ben did not watch the show. When we learned we were going in for the meeting, we both watched a bunch of episodes and said, oh, we, we see what they're doing. It's really fun. They're looking for, you know, different takes on, on uh, monsters we've seen before. I think we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in fact, I think part of what got us the job was in that writer's room meeting, in that writer's meeting with Sarah Gamble, who was taking over show running that year. Um, we mentioned the Peter Pan episode of Beyond Belief that we did. Mm, oh, yeah. And so this was our take on Peter Pan, and she was amused by it, and I, I think that made her say, oh, these guys could probably do this. <laughs> it's like, here's the these uh, drunk people who... Uh... <laughs> um... Obviously, when we got the job, they sent us all the DVDs, and I started watching forwards, and Acker started watching backwards, <laughs> which is really strange. So I watched seasons one, two, and three, and he watched six, five, or I watched like one and two and half of three, and then I kind of jumped around because mm-hmm. I needed to watch the more recent stuff too. Uh, and then he watched uh, six, five, and some of four, and so I think neither of us saw all of season three. <laughs> like, we, we were off the show by the time we would have caught up with that. That's crazy. Uh do you have a favorite season or uh, episode of Supernatural uh, from what you remember? Um I really do not. Okay. They all I watched them so fast. I would come home from the office cuz we had to sit in our office all day even though there was no room mm-hmm. and we wouldn't watch the show cuz we were either working on other thing on you know on thrilling or we were, like, I didn't want to disturb Ben because we were sharing an office. So I would come home from the office and watch, like, five episodes to try to catch up. So they all blend together. I do, like, you know, Edland had some great episodes that were the sort of uh, uh, meta episodes were, were always fun. Yeah. And then, um, I think, you know, just in, in pieces, uh, Misha Collins is really good oh yeah uh, i think when they brought him in it breathed a new life into the show it breathed a new dynamic into the show and i think he's he's actually a terrific actor and can do comedy and can do drama and you know can be tough and can be vulnerable um and and i think they may be exploring that this season but it's been it's nice to see him sort of open up as an actor on that show yeah it's uh definitely like i love that he's based off of constantine as well the the whole um trench coat and suit and tie kind of thing uh and and yeah i do agree like whenever he's there whenever castiel is is around dean and sam's like the dynamics just different and i like that like his observations on human culture are always interesting And then also, I mean, in, and out of working on Supernatural, you did get, like, Jim Beaver and Misha to, you know, guest on the show, too. So it's, like, win-win for everybody, right? Well, we actually, we had Jim, uh, Jim, we knew Jim before. Oh. Uh, he did one of our shows before we even moved to Largo, so it was probably, like, in year three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he had done either a Criminal Minds episode or he worked with Paget in some capacity. And she had told him about the show. And uh, Jim Beaver is, you know, he is a film historian. (laughs) Uh, He loves movies. He especially loves movies from the 30s and 40s. And so, you know, to do an old-time radio show was right up his alley. And he was so good. And and then Misha, 
he knew our name from Supernatural, um, but then a friend of ours, Kate Micucci, uh, from Garfunkel Notes, was pals with him and said, and knew he wanted to do some comedy and said, like, you should absolutely do this show. And he's just, he's the nicest guy and, again, can be so funny uh, in a way that he doesn't get to be funny on uh, Supernatural. We have an episode that'll be podcasting soon, I think next week, mm-hmm. uh, in which he plays... Uh, I can't tell you what he plays. That's part of the surprise. Oh, okay. but he's he's so silly. It's him and Keegan-Michael Key playing oh these two characters who are so silly and so dumb, and it's a thing you've never seen from Misha before, and he's so funny. Just anything with Keegan-Michael Key, like uh, whenever he shows up on, uh, I think it's a Captain Laserbeam or something like that. Oh, He's so good. He's insane. I, I mean, just you know, from from him and Jordan Peele on Key and Peele, it's just like, my God, this man has like endless amounts of energy. Yeah, uh, Keegan is an old friend of Mark Evan Jackson. They they started out doing improv together in Detroit <clears throat> years and years ago, and uh, Jackson would always suggest him for the show, saying, "This guy is so great," and we didn't really know who he was. <laughs> and when he finally did the show, which was after. Keegan Peele had premiered, I believe. So, like, we oh, oh, that's Keegan? <laughs> um, we were like, we are fools. He could have been part of this troupe for ten years. <laughs> have you and Acker tried to, like, write on Keegan Peele at all? Um, I know we've been read for it. It's it's tough. I mean, their, their writers are so good. They mm-hmm. have a, a terrific room on that show. I've interviewed them a couple times for my other podcast, the Nerdist Writers Panel, and they're just smart, funny uh, people with, like, a lot of real comic points of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would be intimidated going into that room. <laughs> I, I still believe that Luther, the uh, anger man, the anger interpreter, is one of the best characters <laughs> created in, like, like, five years or something like that. <laughs> Just every time oh, he's on screen. And then I feel they have a character like that in every episode, though, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about... Someone that strong. There's just, it's something about an angry character that's just inherently funny. It, it's like uh, the professor on Futurama. Uh, when, whenever he's shouting at someone or he goes into the angry dome, it's just like, I, I can't help myself. I'm just laughing my ass off. So much fun. It really is. Um, and speaking of the, the Nerdist uh, writers panel, uh, so, yeah, yeah, well, you technically did, but uh, I'm going to continue it. Uh, so what... What was the impetus behind doing that podcast? I mean, obviously you're interviewing a bunch of uh, writers for specific shows or comic books and, and movies and whatnot. Um, was it just to, you know, for people to meet these writers or was it just more you wanting to learn more about their process? Uh, it was kind of both. I I started it because it didn't exist. And I'm, you know, I'm the guy who listens to the DVD commentaries. Oh, so am I. <laughs> I. I love that stuff. I love to learn how the stuff I love was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of poked around and that didn't exist and podcasting was kind of starting to become a thing and um, I was doing them as live events for to benefit A26LA and, um, I, and I've told the story before but uh, I booked a, a month of them and I said, you know, we'll, we'll record them and if they come, I had no idea if I would be any good at having the conversation. I had no idea if people in this um i just knew that i was interested in it mm-hmm. um and so i booked a month and then for the first 
panel, uh, I booked Damon Lindelof on it. <laughs> there we go. And, uh, and again, just kind of through friends, which is how they're always booked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we were going to do it at the A26LA space, which is a really nice, like kind of library looking space. And they, it seats 75 and they forgot to put a cap on the tickets. Oh, so when Damon was announced, we sold 150 tickets immediately. <laughs> how much? Um, how much capacity did the space have? Exactly 75. Oh God! <laughs> so fire marshals coming in, like no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Chris Hardwick happened to be doing the show, doing thrilling that month, and I was telling him about this and asking him if he knew about a space, and he said, "You know, we're about to open up." He said, "We're a couple months away, but we're going to open up this space." for Nerdist Industries uh, mm-hmm. at Meltdown Comics, and it's going to be a performance space. Do you want to just do it there? It's not really open yet, <laughs> but, you know, we can, it, it's wired, and, like, we can set you up and everything. We can record it, and if you want, I can put the podcast out on Nerdist. I was like, oh, that that takes care of all of the problems that I didn't want to deal with on this. <laughs> like- How am I going to distribute it? Uh, where am I going to hold these things? So... Yeah, uh, it was just a, you know, a, a lucky time to have a conversation with Chris. Like, thank you, magical um, Chris Hardwick. So <laughs> um, huh? No, it's like, thank you, magical Chris Hardwick, for coming in. <laughs> well, you know, he's, from the very beginning, he's been so open to other things, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he had this idea of Nerdist doesn't have to just be me, and it doesn't just have to be the stuff I like. And the writer's panel is absolutely in the Nerdist wheelhouse, mm-hmm. you know, it's about zeroing in on <laughs> details uh, how things, how nerdy, very often nerdy things are made. Like, what do you uh, drink like, oh, when you're it, writing something? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and we've been talking with him anyway about putting uh, Thrilling on the Nerdist Network. We've been releasing it ourselves for a few months already, but, you know, so, and, and he was a friend, so it, it just made sense. Um, and so we did them, we did them live for a long time, uh, I would try to do one or two a month uh, to benefit A26LA. And then it's just in the past year that I've gotten too busy uh, to do the live ones, which I still love to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say here that we are doing a live episode at Largo in April um, with the Better Call Saul writing staff. Oh, sweet. uh, Which Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I've interviewed those guys a bunch of times, and they're all terrific. Just get um, Vince in so, there just like, so, let's talk more about Saul. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, he's, he's great. He and Peter Gould, who co-created it, you know, they're, they're nice, thoughtful guys who it's a pleasure to talk to. So we'll be doing at least one live upcoming one. But the podcast comes out every week at, at, uh, from Nerdist. Cool. Um, were, were there, was there a particular, I guess, panel that you were more surprised by or um, just it was more like you were just really so fascinated by them that shocked by their process or something like that. I mean, um, what have you really gotten out of uh, this podcast, this, this alternate one? Uh, God, everything, you Mm -hmm. know, not being in a room in a writer's room until this year, the podcast has been school for me. Um, And, you know, part of it is just learning how TV works, learning how rooms work, learning how, production works, learning how, you know, the politics of rooms or of getting notes or giving notes and any of that stuff. Uh, And then, you know, kind of finding the commonalities among the different writers and the different panels has always been interesting and fun. And then 
you know, the other thing is just understanding that we all, as writers, go through the same thing. Mm-hmm. 95% of the writers who have been on the panel hate writing. <laughs> but we're just not qualified to do anything else. You know, it's, it's hard and it's miserable and we are not given very much respect. <laughs> um, but, you know, you everybody finds the, their particular joys in it. And, you know, for me, that's the collaboration that's, you know, uh, getting to talk about making a story from nothing with somebody else is, is a really cool thing. And it's something I've been lucky enough to do with Ben for, God, almost 15 years now. But, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to do it with other people, as we do in the Puss and Boots writer's room or as we have with other collaborators, uh, has, has been really cool. Uh, and then the other thing that's been really fun, you know, a lot of the early panels... I will say this. You can you can track my career through the questions I ask on these panels. <laughs> so the early ones were a lot about writing pilots or, you know, getting meetings and things like that. And then it became, what do you do in meetings? And then it became, what do you do once you're in a room? Um, so what do you, how do you work with actors? Things like that. Um, but a lot of the early ones were sort of more general and about breaking in and stuff like that, which I don't tend to ask about anymore. Um, but it's been interesting finding parallels among shows that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just put out a very long interview with a bunch of Friends writers, uh, writers who were on the staff of Friends in the early years. Oh, wow. Um, and the thing that emerged from that conversation, which is it's just the most fun panel I've done in a long time, Um, the thing that emerged from that conversation was how democratic that room was and everybody's opinion counted and everybody's opinion mattered and everybody weighed in on every beat of the story and it had to pass the test of all of these people asking questions of it and pushing on it and the only other time I'd heard about that was on the Breaking Bad show, uh, in the Breaking Bad room, Mm -hmm. where they did a very similar thing, you know, everyone from the staff writer to Vince weighed in on this story and both of them, both shows uh, with Vince Gilligan and with David Crane and Marta Kaufman had very strong captains but the room, everyone in the room had a voice and that's been very instructive to me as we consider you know, the projects we do going forward and and yeah, you because you mentioned the the uh, uh, God, what is it beyond beyond belief uh, pilot that you guys are, are planning to do with with Paul Tompkins and Paget Brewster and, and Janet Varney uh, as well. Um, so, what I guess uh, what I'm thinking is was part of like going for the pilot being that now television has started to become the bigger medium medium than movies, um, and where you know, depending on the cable network you get on or if you get on cable at all. Uh, it's the writer's medium more and it's the creative team that are very much in charge instead of it necessarily being producers all the time. Um, was, was that kind of like one of the impetuses to, to make a pilot that you wanted to be a part of that kind of, I guess this creative boom we're going through with television. We have always wanted to be in TV. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that we wrote sparks as a feature 12 years ago is sort of a fluke. We Mm -hmm. have, we've only written a couple of features. Um, and it just felt like Sparks, as as he was then, and as our concept of the show, of the 
property was then seemed to lend itself more to a feature. If we were to do it now, it would absolutely be a TV show. It would be episodic because uh, we want to we want to grow with these characters. So yeah, the TV has always been the goal for us. I, clearly, I love TV. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I have been talking about it on podcasts on a podcast for three and a half years. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the, the possibilities of TV are so appealing to us, and it's the same thing that we got from doing, the, or that we get from doing the Thrilling Adventure Hour. It's the chance to revisit these characters uh, 12 times a year or more and discover new things about them mm-hmm. uh, and, and push them and let them grow and let them fail, which, you know, you don't really get to do in a movie. The, the hero has to win for the most part in a movie, but there have been times when Sparks fails. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he may get a small win. He may get the the uh, physical victory, but he gets an emotional uh, failure, or vice versa. And and it's you know, TV is the place where you can tell that kind of story. Yeah, and because uh, th- the thing about Sparks, because it is the more the the most episodic of of all of the segments, is that you. I mean, I find myself emotionally invested in these characters, so it's like yeah. Too. Yeah, I mean, with like the Spar- uh, Sparks relationship with Ginny, you're just almost waiting for the other shoe to drop on it, but you don't <laughs> want it to happen. <laughs> Why do you assume there's another shoe? I don't know, Ben. Why do I assume that? <laughs> Is it because nothing has ever worked out for him ever? It possibly could have been. Because <laughs> it's... Uh, it's- yeah, it seems to be, which is also making me nervous. Uh, <laughs> like, that's what you've created. You've created anxiety-ridden people who are like, oh, Sparks is happy, crap, 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 crap. <laughs> that's kind of great, though, because Ben and I have not... All we've done is push that relationship forward. Mm-hmm. And so it's really the listeners creating the tension in the story. Yeah, no, it's true. Which is kind of amazing. <laughs> Well, it's like you see the track record if you've, you know, listened to every episode. It's just kind of like, oh, man, this, I, because re- I love Janet and how she, she plays Ginny and everything. And it's like, they're kind of so perfect for each other. But God, if it falls apart, what's going to yeah, happen to me? <laughs> you're really lucky. I mean, the, I don't think she's even been in the show for a year. So it hasn't even been 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. But the fans took to Ginny so fast. Yeah. And I think part of that is, a huge part of that is Janet Varney. Um, because it's impossible not to like her. No, oh, she's adorable. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we, we did kind of engineer things so that, yeah, I mean, think if you look at the first few episodes, it's about Croach doesn't like her, but then he does. Mm-hmm. And then Red doesn't like her, but then she does. <laughs> so it was, you know, the, getting these characters that you like and trust to like her will make the audience like her. And it, it sort of helped us know who she was also. Yeah, just the, the most recent episode that came out. Like, just, I I absolutely love how her and Sparks just, they, they love each other, but they just miscommunicate all the time. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's so fantastic. I mean, just because the the most recent one was uh, Crisis on Infinite uh, Marses, uh, you know, part part one because part two obviously came out before that, um, which was very clever, well done. Um, and just when when she gets to the point where she's uh, she's talking about troubleshooting, or maybe it wasn't part two. She's troubleshooting and then realizes that Sparks thought that she meant moving in with him. Like just the. She goes from business, business, business to, oh my God, you thought I was talking about moving in with you. Like, 
just uh, the turnaround on that. It's the Jana has such amazing timing. It's great. Like, oh yeah, and that's I mean that kind of thing. And we were talking with uh, Mark Evan Jackson about this recently. Is you know that's the bread and butter of Sparks. Mm-hmm. There is this huge multiverse <laughs> crisis going on. <laughs> And the story is really about, are we going to move in together? I know, it's so good. You know, it's, it's a small story. That's that's the stuff we love. That's the stuff Jackson loves. You know, that that's where Sparks lives and breathes. And and it's I mean it's it's always fun to hear that in the in the writing as well. Like when the the graphic novel came out and and you're reading it and you just hear like Hal's voice when he's doing the announcer. Like it's it's one of those things where I almost want. A recording of him doing each segment just so he can play every time I'm reading a comic. So <laughs> like, I'll, I'll tell him to record something like that or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but even in the, the graphic novel, uh, with all the different segments that you touched on, I mean, the voices were very clear. I mean, you could hear Mark Evan Jackson saying, like, I'm from Earth, you know, <laughs> like those yeah, kinds of things. Absolutely. And they, they really, they breathe life into those characters that I think early on we, we didn't expect mm-hmm. and helped shape them, especially Jackson, um, helped shape them in, in this amazing collaboration that, you know, I hope we get to continue it and I hope we find it again with other actors as we have with our core cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and where was I going to go with this? Oh, uh, so you've, you've partnered uh, prior, uh, you know, beforehand with, uh, with, the sorry, welcome to Night Vale. That's it. I'm getting on track here. Um, so, what was that process like uh, working with uh, Jeffrey Craner and uh, Joseph Fink, who are you know also have their own very distinctive voice for uh, Cecil and and their characters in Night Vale, and then meshing that together with Thrilling Adventure Hour. Yeah, it was it was interesting, especially because we're all in different parts of the country. Yes. I think it, it would have been a lot easier if we could all sit down together, but it was a, it was a pretty painless process. Um, I think Acker had the idea, once we knew it was going to be Sparks, which we knew pretty early on, mm-hmm. um, just because we knew we were doing it in Seattle and that Paget couldn't make the trip, so we knew it was going to be Sparks. Boo. Um, <laughs> uh, which, likewise, San Diego, that was, that was why we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, once we knew that, uh, I think Ben had the idea of the first act being Sparks and sort of introducing people to that world, and the second act being Night Vale and introducing people to that world, and then the actual crossover would take place in the third act. Mm-hmm. And that, that gave us a great structure to work around, and it meant that we could leave them alone for act two, and they could leave us alone for act one once we sort of all agreed on the bones of the story. Um, and then after that, you know, it was just kind of a... a Everybody wrote their pieces. Uh, I think Ben wrote Act 1, or he wrote the first draft of Act 1, and Jeffrey and Joseph wrote uh, Act 2, and I, we didn't have any Night Vale characters in Act 1, but Act 2, I remember we went through and did a Croach punch-up on it, just mm-hmm. to make sure it was all Croach's voice. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I think I wrote the first draft of Act 3 to kind of, I, I had it in my head how to bring it all together. Um, with stuff that, you know, again, we had all worked out over email, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of, kind of banged it out and then, you know, pass it around. Everyone kind of cleaned up their own characters, <laughs> <laughs> the voices, uh, were consistent. 
And was it, I mean, was it... Easy. Sorry? It was actually pretty easy um, and, and pretty fun. Okay, yeah, because I was going to ask, like, was it, you know, was it a, a fairly painful or painless process? Uh, just because it's just so distinctive, the two styles. I mean, I mean, we've talked about voice off and on during this entire, uh, you know, conversation, but it's like two very distinct voices from Night Vale and from especially Sparks Nevada. Um, it's yeah. it's insane that that even happened and it worked together, but it was so, like, satisfying to hear it um through my ears okay, yeah i think once we hit on the the moon thing mm-hmm. which i can't remember where that came from but <laughs> once we hit on that the whole thing sort of started to take shape and we were doing a lot with molly quinn at the time so it made sense to have uh Pamela in there because she's you know moon people yeah <laughs> well and i always you know, love after that it was just about Go ahead. Oh, you know, no, I just, uh, I love how you guys incorporate, like, different, um, I guess, pop culture stuff that's as current as you can possibly make it, like the, uh, was it the uh, murder soccer, basically? Oh, the punishment soccer. Yeah, punishment soccer, sorry. Yeah, it was supposed to be a one-off joke. Uh, I mean, you'll if you've seen the podcast, like, Molly did an episode, and then she didn't do another episode for maybe a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, we... We thought there was, like, a lot of material to be mined in there, and we thought it was pretty funny, so uh, brought her back and then realized how giving Sparks a teenage sidekick, uh, someone who's sort of the opposite of Croach, someone who's very emotional, mm-hmm. uh, would be fun. Plus just... Uh, and that's, that's why she came back for that arc, and Molly's so great. Well, plus just Sparks hanging out with a teenage girl is... It's almost <laughs> like, why didn't you do that sooner? <laughs> I know. It's the perfect sidekick for him, other than Croach. It's like the very emotional and then the least emotional, and Sparks is just somewhere in the middle trying to figure things out. Anyone we can we can pair him with who will annoy him, we know is going to be good. Oh, I still love it when um, Andy Daly was playing his horse. Oh, that was so much fun! Oh my god, Uh, it's there were times because I was listening. I started listening to the podcast um, when you when you joined Nerdist. Uh, so I think that was the one that Chris Hardwick was in the Beyond Belief, where um, Padge, yes. yeah, the, they're in Africa. <laughs> yes, with all the comedians. All the like comedians, right? And Patton and Dana Gould. Oh my uh, God, it was amazing. Austin, yeah. I uh, when when I listened to that, I mean, I I'm not even kidding. I was at work and I was laughing so hard. I think I was getting looks from people like, "Is she okay?" Because <laughs> <It's like, laughs> I have you know, pretty long curly hair. So it covers my, uh, my earbuds. And so no one knows I'm listening to a podcast. <laughs> so they just see my, sh- my shoulders shaking really hard and me trying to like hold in laughter and just being like, I think she's losing it or something's happening. <laughs> so thanks for possibly. Uh, so thank you for having all my coworkers look at me with a weird side eye glance for several years. So yeah, you know, we appreciate it. Uh, anything to get through eight hours of data entry and whatnot. So, <laughs> um, I guess uh, as we're we're winding down here because we're we're a little over an hour right now, um, because you have you've written more than just uh, the, the thrilling adventure hour comics. Because um, uh, aside from the one that's coming out soon, uh, you've also written. I, I read the what is it? Uh, Flash Gordon. Uh, yeah, the one you did for Dynamite. Um, is that going to be an ongoing, or is it just kind of a one-shot? It is four issues, and then we're done. Okay, so what was the... How did you get a hold of, of that one? Um, 
We were approached by Nate Cosby, who was taking over editorial duties on all those King's Features books. Uh, and he, I think he was a thrilling fan. I think that's what it was. And we had already done some work for Marvel. We had done the Wolverines thing. We had done the Deadpool annual and the Thunderbolts annual. And mm-hmm. I think we were not announced as taking over Thunderbolts yet. But, um, you know, so he knew we could write comics. And as far as he knew, we had an opening, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, to him, seemed like a perfect match. <laughs> and you're like, oh, uh, maybe, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a sort of dim pulp hero. Um, <laughs> what he didn't know is I did not know anything about Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when we met Nate in New York, this was maybe a year and a half ago, and you know, after sitting with him for even just ten minutes, it was clear that like this guy was going to be great to work with, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he brought his own ideas to the table and, and like, was talking about how all these King's Features stuff were, were being relaunched, and we really liked what Jeff Parker was doing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really, it was inspiring, like, just to see what could be done with that character. Um, I wish Jeff's run had been longer, because he was doing great stuff on it. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of all happened out of that, and then we really enjoyed working with Nate, so we hired him to edit the Thrilling Adventure books. So he's he's the editor on Sparks and Beyond Belief, which will come, which the first one will come out in March. Sweet, uh, yeah. And and was there it's any a, like, a, you know you find good collaborators and you stick with them? Yeah, go figure. You like you like working with someone, you want to do it more. <laughs> exactly. Uh, was there any difference in like the? Did you do the Marvel method when you worked for Marvel? No, we did not. Not many people do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dan Slott writes the Spider-Man books kind of does a version of it but it's because he's writing like three books a month or something for three Spider-Man books a month yeah um, but yeah not many people do we did we did full script which just made the most sense for us okay uh, which is we did something roughly like that Flash we were actually a little looser um, uh, mostly because Lee Ferguson who's who you know we knew his work a little bit mm-hmm who was illustrating the book we knew his work enough that we're like we can trust him and we know he he writes a little too so we could trust him to to bring even more of himself to it uh whereas on past books we didn't know who our artist was going to be necessarily Mm -hmm. and has that kind of affected how you do um sparks and beyond belief as comics like you know the work of phil hester and uh uh, and jay bone so it, it i guess influences the writing a little bit a little bit, yeah. I mean, we definitely start the conversation by saying, what do you guys want to draw? Um, mm-hmm. So both uh, Jay and Phil had some things that they wanted to draw, so we tried to work those in. Um, but but it's more about, like, the more you work with the person, the more you start to understand the way they work and mm-hmm. start to, you know, a, a comic book script is a letter, is a very direct letter from the writer to the illustrator. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... It's finding the correct language to write that letter to Jay Bone or to write that letter to Phil Hester or whoever, or to write the letter to Lee, um, you know, about how detailed you should be or what kind of references you should have or even just down to, you know, saying, here's what I'm imagining for this spread, but if you have a better idea, absolutely do it. You're the artist, which is which is really what we always wind up saying. Mm-hmm. This This script is a jumping off point please bring as much as you can to it. (laughs) It's the way we work with the actors. It's the way we work with Aaron Ginsburg, who directs our show. Like 
they they have we want everyone to have a voice in, in the work well that's cool no I, that's that's really awesome that you you want that collaborative environment because i mean that's where all the best ideas are going to come from uh it's you know it's going to be you guys but it's also everyone else kind of putting their hat in and just going like hey i've got i've got this what about that yeah I, I, and i think it's necessary i mean there's a reason the first four seasons of the west wing are brilliant and then it starts to go downhill oh yeah that that's yeah. A, that fifth season was rough <laughs> <laughs> it was hard because i'm not even kidding josh lyman was my favorite is you know still my favorite character from there um, and the way they treated him in that fifth season, I was just like ready to throw things at the television. I know. <laughs> uh, it's like if I ever met Bradley Whitford, I'd just be like, I love Josh so much. <laughs> like, oh, he knows. I'm sure he does. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I have two more questions for you and they're, they're a little bit yeah, more sure. on topic, uh, for, for this week at least. Um, how do you feel about Spider-Man coming into the MCU? <laughs> Oh my god, I'm psyched. I'm so psyched. Um, I'm jealous of anyone who has a hand in those films. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a sucker for them. I love it. Aven- I loved Avengers. I loved Iron Man 1 and 3. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't think anyone really likes 2 all that much. Yeah, only, I only saw 10 minutes. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, Marvel is doing everything right, and making this deal with Sony is just the latest move in that. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great for them. Like, yay, like Peter and maybe Miles will come in and spider Gwen. <laughs> it's like, if you see like Twitter, uh, and, and just Facebook or anything, everyone's just like, oh my God, the potential and the possibilities now. But honestly, if it's Peter Parker, that's great. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do with the character that they own. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and final question, how do you feel about Jon Stewart leaving the Daily Show? <laughs> in america my home is in mourning <laughs> it's like we're all we're all sitting I, I actually have only started watching i i stopped watching the daily show for a while um because i was just watching colbert mm-hmm. so i've only restarted watching the daily show once colbert left <laughs> um, went off the air um and you know i'm glad john oliver has his show mm-hmm. um i feel like he's doing for sort of in-depth reporting what Jon Stewart started doing however long ago, 10 years ago, for daily reporting. Yeah. Um, So I'm glad that exists. You know, I think the important thing will be to find someone to take it over who has that same integrity and point of view and, you know, who is also funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, as much as Jon Stewart was always like, you know, I'm not a news source, I'm not a news source, but it was always the comedy that came first. And and yeah. so, especially for my generation that grew up with it, I mean, he was my number one news source through yeah, college. Sure. Uh, uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do next. And, you know, I would love to read the, the sequel to The Late Night Wars that is about <laughs> the, you know, the, the nightly show and the daily show and Colbert going off and all the stuff. I, I think there's probably a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes scrambling going on. It's like, perhaps you and Acker will write the script for it, hmm? I'm in. <laughs> Excellent. I'll, I'll play I... Stewart, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's going to be you some interesting that? casting. Donald Glover, probably? Yeah, let's see. Let's, I think he can pull it off. Like, <laughs> guy's versatile. Come on. <laughs> uh well ben thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it 
Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, so before we go, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, for everything about Thrilling Adventure Hour, go to thrillingadventurehour.com and on Twitter at thrillingadv. And for me on Twitter, I'm at Ben Blacker, just my name. <laughs> and um, you'll find links to Thrilling, to the Nerdist Writers Panel, and to everything there. Yay! And again, uh, Sparks Nevada number one is going to be coming out on uh, February. What is it? 18th. That's it. (laughs) I know dates. Uh, And anyone out there interested in following me, you can do so at darling underscore Sammy. Uh, Also, uh, go to the website, maniacalgeek.com, as well as on Facebook, uh, Maniacal Curls in the URL, um, if you so choose. Um, Once again, Ben Blacker, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real treat just getting into your head about all this stuff. So. (laughs) Will I ever get you out? Uh, No one ever can get rid of me for very long. (laughs) But uh, thank you once again, and uh, good night.